Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Friday, December 17th, 2021. We've all seen movies where at some point the good guys are walking into what is obviously to us as the viewers a trap and you find yourself there in the movie theater or on your couch at home saying no don't do it it's a trap don't go in there we 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 don't want it to happen but obviously it's been orchestrated it's all a part of the plan well today we read a passage where the ultimate good guy, Jesus Christ, the God-man, our Savior, the Messiah, he is, well, what might appear to us walking into a trap. And we might want to say, no, Jesus, don't do it. Don't be in the garden. That's where they're going to find you. It was all planned out. And if anything, Jesus is not the one walking into a trap. Judas and the approaching soldiers are, and we see this in John 18, verses 1 through 11. And as we look at this, we've now finished up the discussion between Jesus and the disciples and his prayer uh, to his father. Uh, but now he goes across the Brook Kidron, and there was a garden, which we know is the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Kind of just across from the Temple Mount there at the bottom of the Mount of Olives, And his disciples go there. We know he spends more time praying there from the other gospels. But Judas knows the place. And Judas goes there. Um, And so you might think, whoa, Jesus, he, he fell for it. No, actually, we need to understand this whole night is orchestrated where Jesus got exactly what he wanted. Judas left and they did, they, he hadn't known previously where the Last Supper would be. Uh, so Jesus gets that time with his disciples and then Jesus leaves. You almost imagine that Judas might have taken the soldiers and gone to the upper room first to find, oh no, Jesus has left. And then Judas saying, ah, I think I know where he goes. Uh, but, but Jesus has orchestrated it all according to his will. And now they arrive precisely when Jesus means them to. And in verse four, it says, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who I was, who had betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And so you see that they fall back to the ground when Jesus just says his name and even their I am he, right? That idea of I am. Uh, Jesus just saying his name because he is the great I am and they fall to the ground. It might appear that Jesus is walking into a trap, but he is actually 100% in control of the situation. And, And again, having recently preached through this chapter and the chapters to follow, that is something we are going to start seeing again and again at every step of the way through the arrest and the trial and even the crucifixion. John is going to make the point that it is all going exactly according to Jesus's plan. So can you trust Jesus today? There might be some situation in your life that you feel trapped by saying, how how did I walk into this situation? We need to understand Jesus is in control. 
Jesus was in control then. Jesus is in control now. He is in control even of the the finest details of your life, and we can trust him. And that can keep us from making the mistake of Peter, which I think you could summarize by saying Peter tries to take things into his own hands. As he takes a sword and strikes the high priest's servant and cuts off his right ear. And we know Jesus heals this servant. We know Jesus rebukes Peter and says in one of the other gospels, hey, the one who lives by the sword will die by the sword. But here he says to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? And that's where Jesus obviously is referring to the cup of the wrath of God, but that the cup is kind of used all throughout scripture. And even just to think of our lot in life, I guess you could say, um, you think of Psalm 23, my cup overflows, right? Uh, can't we all today look at whatever's in front of us and say, shall I not drink the cup in front of me? God has given me something God has given me my lot in life. Can't I trust him that he is in control and I can drink the cup in front of me today? Um, These are good things for us to think about and good things for us to be encouraged by. And as we think through Jesus being in control, that can give us confidence in trial. And we see some of that in our next passage, Psalm 144 verses 1 through 8. And just listen to how this Psalm of David starts. It says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Right? Just think of the confidence. In, in all of those phrases and just the stability and the safety in all of those things. We can know those things. We can have those things when we are trusting in God as in control and trusting in God as good. And even though we are lowly and, and, and nothing in the grand scheme, God cares of us. Verse three, O Lord, what is man that you regard him and or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Right? Our days are so brief in this world, yet God still cares about us. That should encourage you to trust Christ today. He is in control. And maybe that puts some things in perspective. The things that you think of as such a big deal today, probably not because you're like a breath and your days are like a passing shadow. But that doesn't mean they're irrelevant because even then God still cares about you and God cares about the affairs of your life. And so you can trust him as a God who is in control today. We can also trust God is in control because we know that he will ultimately judge the earth. And we kind of return to that theme in our next couple passages, starting in Revelation 16, verse 11. And now we get into these bold judgments. And these bold judgments are pretty intense. Uh, Number one, these harmful and painful sores come upon people who have the mark of the beast and have worshipped its image. Notice again, they're the pairing of receiving the mark and worshipping the beast. They really seem to go together. Uh, The second angel pours out his bowl and all the sea turns to blood and everything in the sea dies. And the third angel pours out his bowl and all the rivers and springs become blood. And you might think, and rightly, we should kind of step back and say, whoa, like that is intense. There, there should be a sense of fear and just a wait as you read about the severity of these things. But notice then what is said that what the angel says, just 
are you, O Holy One, who was and who, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Right? Even though we look at these things, we see them as they're, they're severe things, they're intense things. In the end, the angels will sing, this is what they deserve. And the saints, I think, really is the picture in the altar saying, true and just are your judgments. And so again, when we trust the control of Christ, one thing that's hard is when we see people doing bad things and seemingly getting away with it. And that's where we don't need to be like Peter and take matters into our own hands, but we can trust God and we can look ahead to this and say, you know what? Someday God is going to take care of business. And on that day, we we won't be probably just gleeful and, and, and silly and looking down at the world, but it, with a sense of weight, the saints will cry out, just and true are your judgments, O Lord. And speaking of those judgments, again, we see some of that in Amos in chapter six. Notice again, the rebuke to those who are at ease, it says, just kind of, again, this idea of the people that are fat and happy. Um and you you think of all that, the people that are content in this world, the people that are focused on this world, the people that are all about themselves and getting more things for themselves, right? Woe to them. And you see some visions in our passage today. You see even Amos being accused and really coming back at somebody that is leading the people astray. But again, notice how Amos ends this book prophesying judgment against the people, it ends with a hope of restoration. And I hope you've seen that now as a theme through all the prophets, you know, especially going back to Isaiah, even Jeremiah, going through all of them. There is a lot of talk of judgment. There's also a lot of talk of restoration and how, especially for the people of Israel, this coming judgment that they were about to experience was not the end. God still had a plan. And now we kind of see the rest of scripture and we see all of that, but may it come back to, we serve a God who is uh, compassionate. We serve a God who is full of steadfast love and we serve a God who is in control. And I hope the combination of all of those things can bring us a lot of peace and help today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.